Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, this is the First Impressions edition of the Colts Cover 2 podcast. I am Joel A. Erickson, uh, joined by Nate Atkins, as always. A little bit more first impression uh, by a couple of hours than normal. Um, the Colts beat Jacksonville 34-27 in a game that ultimately it doesn't fix the Colts' issues completely, but this is the first time the Colts' offense has looked the way it's supposed to. Uh, or not not supposed to. I should. This is the first time the Colts' offense has been successful all season, and I think that that's a big development. Um, Jacksonville's defense is. This is not the old Jacksonville's defense. This is a, a decent defense. They came in ranked 13th or 14th against the pass. They had the to- a top five rushing uh, defense. They've they they were two and three coming in, but they've they've been good, uh, especially on that front, and they've been good at forcing turnovers. They they were I think third in interception per um, pass attempt coming into today. And Matt Ryan goes for, what is it, 389? Yep, 42 of 58. 42 of 58, 389, three touchdowns, no picks, no sacks, which I think is the most important part. No question. It's unbelievable to think that this team had a game with 58 pass attempts and zero sacks because all we've talked about all season long is the offensive line, and I feel like this podcast probably sounded very redundant, repetitive, uh, and probably dull after a while when you keep saying that everything comes back to the offensive line. And I, you know, I've been one of those who has been, I don't know, probably probably not as hard on Matt Ryan as most everybody because I, I just don't think this has ever looked up until today like it was supposed to look or it needs to look for a 37-year-old quarterback to have a chance. And today was much different. And part of that, uh, well, a lot of that was the game plan. They came out, they had these a uh, lot of – a lot of tempo, no huddle, quick passes, short passes. Didn't give the defense of the Jaguars a chance to uh, get the rush the same way. And, and it was also the offensive line did actually protect. We didn't see the free rushers that, uh, that that crushed them in the early couple games. We didn't see some of the one-on-one just pure uh, dominant you know moments from a defensive line against this offensive line it started that way it looked like it was going to go that way the first couple drives and then the Colts made a shift they move uh, Bernard Raymond uh, out from left tackle they move Dennis Kelly in for his first snaps at left tackle and that kind of helped solidify things and then from there once they finally got you know just a, a couple of drives of getting the ball from Matt Ryan two receivers hands uh, in rhythm with hurry up this, the whole passing game gained a ton of confidence and that seemed to really work for the the offensive line too and all of a sudden we got to see a glimpse of what this passing game could be it's not the offense that it was supposed to be because there's no Jonathan Taylor there's no Naheem Hines they didn't try to run at all but this was the first glimpse of what Matt Ryan can be and I think it looked uh Looks like something you can win with. There's there's probably a school of thought out there that says, well, going into no huddle, that's obvious. Um, throwing it and avoiding the running game without Taylor, that's obvious. But I, I actually don't think it was. I think it's risky, um, given what we've seen so far. They, they threw 58 passes with an offense that had been sacked 21 times. 
and produced 10 turnovers in the first five games and could have produced more. It like this putting it in Matt Ryan's hands given what what they'd gotten from him. Not not that I don't think the passing was there, like some of this passing efficiency was there, especially with the the emergence of Alec Pierce, uh, some of the other stuff we've seen from the tight ends. That that was possible. But what we've seen from Matt Ryan, the the risk here was going to the no huddle and essentially just giving more opportunities for that stuff to happen. Um and and that didn't happen. They they put it in, they put it on Matt Ryan and it worked out very very well and the quick passing game they, they they did as the game went on i felt like they called some deeper developing stuff that took a little bit longer and he had more time in the pocket but the quick stuff is what started that even the first couple drives you know they they're when they're throwing that fast and getting the ball out that fast and the, the other team is playing that many snaps and they can't get to the quarterback all of that has an effect later on and it allows them to to pr- pass protect better ryan kelly i think said it best he said a tired i'll take a tired offensive lineman against a tired defensive lineman every day because honestly, it it makes sense that the def- a defensive lineman's job as a pass rusher is to give maximum effort, explosive off the ball, on every snap, and and everything about it is forward and explosive and hard. Whereas, well, well, I'm not saying that the offensive line isn't giving effort; they're giving the same amount of maximum effort. Physically, the strain of what they're exploding is not quite the same. It's not a full out uh, from a standing start sprint. And and so you you can't do that over and over again. That's why so many defensive lines try to rotate as much as they can. That's why the Colts have talked about trying to rotate and keep guys fresh so they can send waves to the quarterback. When you keep defensive lines on the field and make them do that over and over again, inevitably it takes some teeth out of it. Yeah, and it all comes down to efficiency and getting first downs, and that's the risk of taking this approach, and it, that's why it was a bold decision to do it because getting first downs and generating long drives has – not been what this offense has done this year. I remember last week when we were in, in Denver for that game where they could barely muster up any scoring at all. You know, they had one drive where they went 70 yards and then they took back to back sacks and it was third and 38. And I remember thinking that's kind of how this offense is. Like they, they go long enough driving and they, they end up doing something to screw it up. Today it was the opposite of that. They it, it all turned into confidence for the passing game, for the offensive line, for Matt Ryan, for. Every, really everybody involved and you know this one this game felt a lot to me uh like you know this was a game where they didn't believe they could run because they you know Jonathan Taylor's not out there they haven't run blocked well against anybody uh Jacksonville has given them problems uh, up front and Jacksonville has game. given everybody problems that yeah. this year specifically like the, Jacksonville has given their run game issues but then on top of that Jacksonville was a top five rush defense coming in, but they were sixth in yards and then fourth in what I consider to be the more important set, which is yards per carry. That's a good run defense over there to run against without Taylor and without the blocking, like you're saying. Yep. And so what they did instead today was they created a pseudo run game, which is what I've talked about something before. So that I wish I, I thought that the Colts would do at some point uh, if the offensive line wasn't going to block, which is it, it's it's quick passes out of the slot, but it's also swing passes, and you saw a lot of that with Deion Jackson. He caught. Uh, it's it's crazy to look at a running back stat line like this, where he had 12 carries and he had 10 catches for 79 yards, caught all 10 passes. And this is two weeks now, where Deion Jackson has caught had 14 targets and he's caught 14 passes. So they have suddenly created a new role for this third string running back, who's an undrafted free agent that no one ever really thought would be on the field on offense. And that's good coaching, and that's recognizing what a guy is getting uh, getting good at in the meeting rooms and in the 
in practice, and that was, you know, I talked to Scotty Montgomery, the running backs coach this week. I wrote on Dion, and they really thought the light bulb went off for him a few weeks ago, and this was one of the areas they thought they could really use him. Uh, you know, it wasn't going to be as effective to have him slam into uh, the middle of that line when they didn't believe they could block, but they created a new run game this way. Uh, so just really the game plan, the way it came together, the way it was sort of a couple week. Sounds like, you know, they had come up with this game plan before the Broncos game. Uh, they wanted to roll it out, but of course, last week they had two two walkthrough practices. Yeah, I think that's significant because uh, you know you hear Reich say we came up with this two weeks ago and earmarked the Jacksonville game for it. You, you go, well, why didn't you use it earlier? Well, because it's a Thursday night game. It's a Thursday night game. You're shuffling the offensive line considerably. Um, no practices. No, no, a lot less meeting time. Um, and and I think part of it too that people might not understand, but no huddle is. When you're going no huddle, I mean, Wright can still call a lot of the plays and did. And, and Ryan said he called a great game today. Um, but you also have to have to go fast. You have to have a lot of a lot more checks and counters and stuff like that, because you don't necessarily if you want to go fast, you don't have the time to audible as much. So you like the game winning touchdown pass. And this is how a lot of plays work in the Colts playbook and all NFL playbooks. But like the game winning touchdown pass to Alec Pierce. That was the primary route if they got the right coverage. If they didn't get the right coverage, then on the back, like a different look would have made Ryan go to the backside where Michael Pittman Jr. was running um, uh, an under route, and I don't know what the other route was. But there was Ryan essentially said if if they didn't give him the look they wanted on Pierce, the other side of it would have had a, an answer for whatever they were going to do. Maybe it's not a touchdown answer, but there's an answer. And it's harder to build all that and put all that stuff together um, if you're going to go no huddle full time on just two days of preparation essentially yeah there's no doubt about that and so the other thing that's hard with going no huddle is everyone that that really tests how much you're on the same page that really tests uh the chemistry and the um and the the experience and and all of that and they uh, they tried some parts of it in that first jacksonville game i know that they, they if you look back they they did try go no huddle at moments of course they didn't move the ball well enough to do it and also they at one moment in that game when they were trying to do it they had a penalty they had a false start uh from a young receiver and they that's the kind of stuff they had to grow out of some of that to have a chance to do that so well and and then the other thing the first jacksonville game no michael Pittman, yeah who is not going to i don't think going to get talked about a ton because alec pierce caught the game winner paris campbell had a good game but he had 13 catches for 134 yards. And a lot of what he did was some of the quick game getting it out, um, getting across the middle of the field, open across the middle of the field early. I think maybe the play for him at the game was him being open uh, on a free rusher. There's a free rusher unblocked at Matt Ryan that's almost always turned into a disaster this season. Instead, this time Pittman was open in the middle of the field for a 20-yard gain. Um that's a big difference from the first Jacksonville game in terms of going no huddle is you didn't have your number one. Um, and people are like, I, I, I want to throw this in cause it's a good time to do it. But like people talk about Pittman not being a number one, 13 catches is number one. <laughs> it's a number one receiver's stat line. I don't care if it's only 10.3 yards per catch, 13 catches for 134 yards and several big third down conversions. That's what a number one receiver is supposed to do. Yeah. A number one receiver is the guy who's going to, you know, take that number one role, even when the defense knows that's what he is, and they're trying to take him away, and they can't take him away. Pierce doesn't make that catch, touchdown catch, if Pittman doesn't get a first down on a third and ten a couple plays before that. Yeah. 
And just a week ago, yeah, I had gotten into it with some people on on that exact topic just a week ago because I had suggested he was number one receiver. But um, yeah, it's interesting with Pittman too because I had you know I had just just done a big profile with Pittman. We he and I have talked on and off since January on on really some personality and background stuff. And and one of the things was that was big in that story. Uh, it's at the Indy Star if you want to check it out. But it was about how he you know he grew up the son of an NFL running back. He always wanted to be like his dad, Michael Pittman Sr. But he was too tall to play running back. So at some point he found a way growing up to try to be a running back who plays wide receiver who goes out wide catches short passes cuts in inward across the middle and runs through people and you saw that again and again today and that was part of the pseudo run game i'm talking about if you can draw up opportunities to get the ball to playmakers you know and get them in situations where they can make plays that that can be your run game if you don't believe in it otherwise so that's what i thought he offered so that that was a huge thing from him and then you know another guy i think that that might go under the radar a little bit in this game but shouldn't is paris campbell not only did he come out and have his most productive game, seven catches, 57 yards, and a touchdown, but people have often asked me, kind of, why does he play so much? His snaps are always so high, uh, and he, the production isn't always there. Part of it is that they did believe more production was coming for him, but the other part of it is he is that trustworthy as a guy who knows the offense and is confident when he's out there running it. If you really watch, slow it down, you watch some of the plays on film, you'll see him talking to Alec Pierce and talking to tight ends and getting guys in the right position, telling them to get on the line to avoid a penalty. Like There's a certain calmness to those kind of players who are, who are that kind of dialed in. And this is a very young receiving core. They have to have certain guys they can trust on in those moments to run, hurry up, to run that many passing plays, to get in the right position, to handle clutch situations. And I think that's one thing Paris has done. It's They, they now have uh, three fourth-quarter comebacks – or three, three come-from-behind wins and four fourth-quarter comebacks. And um, guys like that, you know, it doesn't – doesn't jump off the page when they're not producing, but today is a day when when he did start to produce, and, and you're starting to see a little bit more of why they like him. A quick note on Alec Pierce, who's been great and was great again today. One of their one of their blitz um, hots essentially was um, a go route to Pierce, uh, and it didn't always work out, but it got a, a it got a DPI on one play. the the one that the one to win the game wasn't wasn't that type of play, but it was it was definitely something that was built in for them. Like if he's one on one outside, they want to throw it deep to him. Um, but people have asked, like, why is Pierce out on certain things? I think part of it, and I don't know if we get this answer, but I think part of it is probably trying to limit what a rookie's scope of things that he has to do is. Um, yeah, to, and subbing in Mike Strawn in those situations is kind of interesting. Yeah, it's not great, but Ashton Doolin's hurt. Right. Right. You know, like if it's if if Ashton Doolin isn't hurt and on IR, is it Ashton Doolin in a couple of those? red zone plays i think that's that's probably part of it doolin's a guy who you'd, you'd have more faith in um, and really i think part of it is it's as simple as plays they develop certain players within certain plays and to for alec pierce you know they're trying to grow it so maybe there's you know whatever the number is maybe there's 20 plays that they really trust him on that that number of plays is an important thing and so well and it go, also it, goes it also goes way. back to what wrote ryan what matt ryan said about the best way to unlock a, a rookie receiver which i know is what what the Colts believe too is sometimes even if they can do all of it, you don't ask them to do that. You ask them to do the stuff they're best at Mm -hmm. and whatever they're doing with Alec Pierce is, is generally working. Now I understand you want him in on as many, like I understand Colts fans want him in on as many things as possible. And and maybe they'll increase that as the season goes along. But if you're looking for an explanation of why he's not playing 
um, you know, every snap the way Pittman and Campbell are. I think that's probably the most likely is is the rookie role type of thing. Um, same thing, same thing with Jelani Woods, who, you know, every time he makes a catch, it looks really tantalizing, but isn't necessarily um, playing like a, a number one tight ends role right now. He, they're using him more as a red zone and and down the field type of weapon, it's which is all red zone, which is point. still really good. It's still really good. Well, they've tried to use him in the middle of the field a lot more, and it just hasn't matched up yet. Um, they've tried to use him as kind of the 15-yard to 20-yard stretching the defense in that, and they haven't quite hit on some of them, but he's he's out there running some of those routes. Yeah, and Pierce, you know, he finished with three catches, 49 yards, and a touchdown. Obviously, the touchdown was a huge play. That's kind of the role I had envisioned for him coming into this year if it was going to hit was – he is a guy who he profile coming out of college is you know he's six three he runs a four four one forty and he's just he's a big body go up get the ball in those contested situations or win one on one down the field and that's what in the locker room I ended up writing on him after the game that's what he talked about what uh, what Matt Ryan talked about what Michael Pittman Jr. talked about they there's just such a confidence in everybody about what he can do in those one-on-one go routes and his eyes get wide when he gets one of those and that's kind of they're trying to emphasize that with him and he's really delivering on it and so that's yeah, that's what you want to see. I was impressed last week in Denver. He did a little bit more than that. He's done a little bit more across the middle of the field and and some heads up play that that I I didn't know he had in him until he kind of showed us that last week. But this kind of game, you know, it it didn't feel all the way throughout it like it was. This a is huge a more lightning bolty game. But this is this is a totally acceptable type of really really good game for him to make the play when it comes. It's once once or twice a game they're going to take a shot to Alec Pierce. And if he can make a play like this, that will make up for everything else we're talking about. And they're going to look for the production, the other production that, that fans may, may be clinging for in other ways. The run, Getting the run game going, you know, we'll talk about that. That's going to be another level of it. They have to get back to that at some point. But, you know, they, they believe in Michael Pittman Jr. to be a 13-catch guy. They believe in uh, Paris Campbell to, to start to produce a little bit more. Uh, normally they'll have Naheem Hines out there. Deion Jackson filled in in that role and caught 10 passes. This is how it's going to mostly go. They'll probably get a little bit, you know, they want a little bit more out of tight ends. Uh, but most games, they're not going to be trying to throw 58 times. This was sort of a specific deal of having two backs out in a tough matchup and an offensive line, you know, in disarray. Eventually, to get to the full peak of this offense, if you're running the way that they want to with Jonathan Taylor and you've got a little bit of a tight end game, this kind of game from Alec Pierce, three catches, 49 yards, and a touchdown is exactly what he should be offering. Three catches, 49 yards, also two critical Pass interference, pass yep. interference is drawn. That doesn't show up in the stat sheet. Two either. very critical one. In fact, one of them. This doesn't go down. So technically, the Colts were ten of fifteen on third down, but they also have a Pierce a DPI and a roughing the passer, which was a legitimate roughing the passer. Matt Ryan got hit in the face. Um, that it's actually twelve of seventeen, and they were two of their first six. And again, I will <laughs> They were two of their first six. They went ten of eleven last week. The two teams, Broncos and Colts, I believe, were six of thirty-one combined. Yeah, on no, third. Colts so. were the Colts were ten of <laughs> ten of their last eleven third downs were converted either by penalty or by Colts, including all of their third downs in the second half. Every single one. Yeah, yeah. They've they made it. They just made all the adjustments that everyone wanted them to make. I mean, just think about where they were, you know, ten days ago, where getting a single first down felt like the biggest challenge in the world and they have you know every game up until now they've had you know turnovers that are just 
back-breaking turnovers, and they didn't turn over at all today. That's the thing that's impressing me. It's not you could say the sacks were you know game plan related. Obviously they were, uh, but or the lack of sacks, but no turnovers either. You know they didn't didn't fumble, which has been a big deal. Of course, quarterback hits are a big part of that. That's what I've always said. Lower the quarterback hits, and you'll see that kind of correct itself. But the interceptions really weren't moments where I thought it was even that close like they just lived out of danger today and it was impressive I think that's the advantage of the mini buy played a little bit into that uh the coaches were able to like Frank Reich talks about all the time they scout self-scout all the time but a little bit more time to just get a little bit more fresh physically to review what you've been doing to, to kind of dial in and then they had three normal days of practice this week you know with Wednesday being kind of full speed and this is what happens. Passing games come together. Coming into the year, I always thought that this was going, just on a passing game level, it was going to go this way, where the first month was you were going to have moments where you thought this didn't look very good, and we were going to question you know, just what the ceiling was. And you've got Alec Pierce coming along and young receivers and an older quarterback trying to adjust systems. Everything was in disarray because of how bad the offensive line was and how bad the run game has been. The offensive line today was – capable it was solid in moments it wasn't dominant because they didn't you know they didn't run the ball and have that kind of a day but uh but it was much it did not lose one-on-one battles nearly the way it has it's held in there's some very solid pockets and this is what I've been trying to say for a while is that I just wanted to see what it would look like if Matt Ryan had capable you know pass reliable pass protection you saw him he felt a little bit happy feet in the beginning, but he really settled in by like the third drive and on. And that's when I think you just saw those long drives, those consistent third down conversions, and the end, yet another fourth quarter comeback. And that's what I think this is ultimately going to be. Uh, you know, it's not always there's going to be occasionally a turnover. They didn't have it today. Uh, but, you know, especially once as good as the offense was today, score 34 points. I mean, they didn't have Jonathan Taylor out there, so there well, is still. Well, this a is probably this is probably a good part of the podcast to transition into into some of the stuff that that maybe isn't. I don't know. You can't run this game plan every time. It's not going to work yeah. to throw fifty eight passes every time. Um, I I don't know that you're always going to get zero sacks from the offensive line if you do this every time. Uh, Jacksonville's not. pass rush had five sacks against the Colts the first time but they have five other sacks in the other five games combined. Um, now, does that hurt you against Tennessee? I don't th- maybe not because Tennessee's pass rush has been kind of spotty too. Um, but it's going to hurt at some point down the line. So they've got some pass rushers on some schedule. Of that stuff. They've got Matt June on. They've got Joey yeah, Bosa. They've, they've got to figure out some of that stuff later on. Um, and also, also, you know, We'll see. There, there were some offensive line stuff that maybe could have gone poorly, if it if it had you know. We'll we'll see if it if it gels and if it keeps going. Maybe this is what maybe this is where it gels and they start to build some momentum. Uh, there's a there's enough there that I'm still a little bit skeptical. But one of the things that happened was even if you throw, take that into account, everyone's been saying if the Colts could just get average offensive line play. That's what I thought today was. Yes, yeah, they it was, got average offensive average. line play, and they scored 34 points. The sack numbers make it look great, but that was a lot of game plan-specific stuff. The run game wasn't there. You know, I mean, they was it 15 carries for 49 yards. Granted, it's Deion Jackson, Philip Lindsay, but there weren't there weren't some ga- big gaping holes either. So it was an average day. It was really only one play that worked in the running game. It's yeah. it's. Uh, I think I think Auburn used to call it a sugar draw. I think that's where I'm getting that from. But it's it's kind of a 
a quicker draw than normal. It's not like the stand like the stereotypical like you stand back for a little while and then hand it off. It's more of a quick thing. That's where they got most of their yards was on that play. Um, the defensive side of the ball, which is where we'll we'll sit for a little bit. I think it's got to be concerning going into a game against Tennessee that the Colts gave up 243 rushing yards and 7.4 yards per carry, uh, including, I think, the three biggest runs of the year or close to it, um, 61, 48, and I think Eddie N had another one that I'm not thinking of and i got to go find. But it was really bad. And I guess part of me is just wondering, and this, this has come up before when DeForest Buckner's been out um, or hurt, like the first Tennessee game, you, we find ourselves asking, you know, is is he does he matter that much to the um, does he matter that much to the run defense? Now we're asking the same thing, but it's about Quiddy Pay, um, because essentially what it felt like Jacksonville did was they said, okay, you've got Stewart and Buckner inside, we can't beat them, we know we can't beat them, we're just going to beat you on the edges, and Quiddy Pay is not out there to help. Uh, we can kind of isolate Yannick Ngakwe. Um, put him in and make him the point of the attack, which he's not good at. He's not big enough to be good at. Um, and like I said, 61, 48, and the other one was 27. And that was the one that uh, for briefly looked like it was a touchdown <laughs> in a horrible fashion uh, and didn't end up being a touchdown um, because his, his elbow had hit. But but three big runs. That's, or f- that's not the f- three or four. Well, that's not the three biggest runs of the season because James Robinson had twenty-seven, had a thirty-seven-yard touchdown in the first game between them, but still, really bad, really bad from a run, from the run defense standpoint, and sort of inexplicable. The Colts came into this game literally second in the NFL in yards per carry allowed. Yeah, it's it just nothing like this has even come close to happening. There was that that thirty-seven. They were pretty yard bad run. against. They were pretty bad against Derrick Henry, but it wasn't like this. Yeah, it was. In that, that to me still felt more of a you know. Buckner I, only played 13 snaps. You tip your hat to Henry on some of that. I mean, he he does that to teams. Uh, it's still like yeah, they got gashed a little in that, but they didn't have these like long runaway runs. It was you know, good amount of yards after contact. This one was, it was weird because it was it was some of it. Obviously, Quiddy Pay being out was part of it. Uh, Jaguars had a good game plan to run at him, and also whenever whenever Buckner or Grover were out, it seemed like they were running at the guy replacing him, which is a big drop off from those two. Uh, you know, they were able, they just were able to get on the edge. That's where that's where I think maybe there were some cracks in this Colts run defense that we didn't maybe always see that that's have shown up in moments. Brandon Faison's had a couple of those now against Derrick Henry. It's and, a bad thing going up against Henry because. Yeah. Like everyone sees Henry's size, and they just kind of assume that he's just a, a pounder up the middle. But that's not actually. If you watch his games, when he has big games, it's, he actually does most of his his devastating work on the perimeter. Like oh, yeah. this was exactly the wrong kind of game to play going into next week. If you can get big you backs, play this game. If you play this game next week, you're in bigger trouble. Yeah, yeah. Because if you get big backs rolling on the perimeter, full speed at your his stiff arm comes backs. in. His stiff arm comes into play. Um, and he's faster than you realize. Yeah, he's faster than you realize. That's where a lot of his big plays are made are on exactly the type of runs the Colts were struggling with today. It's It's been – they've played six games. Four games have been really good against the run. Two games have not. And you're going into a game where you have to be good. Now some of it today is a couple of the guys they were able to get on the edge are elite athletes. Travis Etienne and Jamal Agnew are just super fast. So getting them to that point, though, was – was kind of the thing that they've got to fix. They got to 
prevent that from happening. That's Quiddy Pay setting the edge. It's also I noticed I used to. If he's back, that's the hard part. Is this, is he back yeah, next if week? He's, if he's back, I, long if term, long term, I feel like you don't worry about it over the rest of the season because you feel like Pay has played be, played well enough in there that he's been kind of a linchpin. But for yeah. next week specifically, with him coming off of that high ankle sprain, if he can't go. You're just nervous. I'd be nervous. It'll be interesting because the Tennessee game was when Ngakwe played his least because of that matchup. But without Pay, if they don't have him, you know, you just don't have enough bodies out there to play. Ta- Taekwon Lewis is one, but um, but they're searching there. So there's that. There's also the the Colts have been very. I thought coming before this game. For the most part, very good on some stretch runs because of the way that Bobby O'Karake and Zaire Franklin have tracked the running back. Today it felt like the Jaguars were just finding ways to get blockers on those guys. I noticed multiple times that Zaire Franklin was just kind of caught up, you know, and he was just kind of caught up. And then there were occasionally moments when you'd see O'Karake and Franklin do what they've done, these thumpers on the perimeter, either on, on pass plays or on uh, on runs. It just didn't happen the way that it normally happens. Maybe it was just an off game for them. Zaire Franklin is having a breakout year where he's in the top five in tackles and has been so solid at that. Like, it just goes to show everyone can have an off game. Um, I never thought it could be this much of an off game. Uh, but but who knows? They have got to find a way to make this the aberration because this really the, was the only this is the only part of the game that felt like a real big negative. I mean, outside of the Colts' run game didn't work. Yeah, the pass rush was good. I mean, but, Lawrence. So Lawrence's stat line, if you just look at the completions for attempts, is very misleading. I mean, he was twenty for twenty two, which you're like, oh, that was terrible. They they gave up too much. He only threw for one hundred and sixty three yards. Um, was, that's one of the more ineffectual. 20 of 22 performances you're ever going to see if you you throw in sack yardage and it takes it takes their total passing yards down to 134 um that's abysmal a big and a big boost i i felt like when they were passing i outside of some situational stuff i felt like the, the colts were generally winning that matchup buckner had the big sack early but you also got yes a big sack from taekwon lewis if audio denegbo was a sack you know that pass rush was there today the Jaguars I don't think felt like they could throw it down the field very much they didn't have to because of the run game but they didn't they didn't really try to throw it that much um so yeah it's it does feel like that it I think the run game is still just knowing that you can't throw it 58 times every time every week in the NFL you still worry about the run game but again Taylor and Hines no Taylor and no Hines um so the pass rush was good generally and and yeah, I think the run the run is, is run defense is is the big concern coming out of this game, which is a weird thing to say because going into it, you would have said the run defense is probably the most consistent thing the Colts can count on this season. And you would have been at least a little concerned about the pass rush without Quiddy Pay, but that part that part didn't show up. Tyquan Lewis had a really nice sack, and DeForest Buckner's just on a different level right now. They've been moving him out to the edge to get him one on ones. They're doing whatever they can to get him one on ones because I think he's their best rusher. I think that's what that is. They're 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 doing whatever they can to get Buckner one on ones because he's their best rusher. Now, I was joking with him in the locker room after the game. I said, "Hey, they they're moving you around a lot. You getting some edge rushes?" He's like, "Yeah, just trying to get me one on ones." And then late in the game, they kept sending the running back out to chip me, and I was like, "Man, what do I got to do?" <laughs> <laughs> but get used to that. But he's been very very good here in in the three games that they've won. Um, very very good. Kansas City. Uh, at least as a from a pass rush standpoint, I think probably in the run game today he was probably pretty good because I felt like most of their stuff came off tackle, um, where it's not so much at the point of attack. He got called for an idiotic penalty. I don't, it shouldn't be on the rule books. Oh. 
That was the, unbelievable. The the on on Jacksonville's go ahead drive, he got called for defensive holding on a play where he was double teamed and essentially just trying to hold his ground. I I I don't even think he had hold of the guy's jersey. No, because he was it was his left elbow that was around him, and his left elbow is the one that can't do things right now. It was as if the refs were telling him, "You just have to let yourself get pancaked." Yeah, it was it was a ridiculous call. Um, there I were a lot of those. Another I don't really understand. I don't really understand why that rule's on the books. Someone would have to explain to me why that's on the books because, like, that's kind of a defensive tackle's job is to absorb stuff and not give and, and muddy everything up. It's just a really weird call. You, you almost never see it either. I mean, defensive holding is almost all defensive backs for that reason. Yeah, and and I've seen it where it's like a a blatant sort of grab where someone's going away from him and you kind of like tackle a defensive lineman. And that one, I guess I, or a tackle an offensive lineman, I mean, a pulling one, I kind of see that. I still don't think, I kind of, honestly, I still don't think I still, you should be able to do that. <laughs> um, yeah. But what Bugner, Bugner's call was insane. I, I don't understand why that, how that could be called that way or why it would be ruled that way. You'd, you'd have to get a, a member of the rules committee to explain it to me. And I, I have a feeling I still wouldn't like it. Yeah, it didn't make any sense. And really, yeah, the defense overall was was really good when outside it wasn't, of the run defense. Yeah, uh, and the, but know, the run defense was, the, was so bad. Well, yeah, I guess what I'm trying to say here is the uh, they did have a few penalties in coverage. Some of them were legit, you know, a couple, one or two I'm not so sure on. Uh, they gave up the, the – so the touchdown pass that Trevor Lawrence had uh, to – they get to have a questionable pass interference called on on them though, because Jelani Woods threw a person to the ground in right. the end zone on a touchdown. That's true. <laughs> I'm uh, for it. I'm fine, but he he absolutely threw that guy to the ground. So Trevor Lawrence threw one touchdown, but that even that was that was play action at the goal line. Play action off the running game. And yeah. Kenny Moore bid on the play action. It looked like to me. Again, like this is going to happen when you run the ball like this event like eventually they're going to have a play like that was a good moment for Doug Pearson to roll that out um overall the pass defense really really was was solid it was interesting though that uh you know Julian Blackman practiced all week he was out there in the warm-ups every time I've seen him in practice or you know he, he has his helmet on he's he's a dialed in energetic player and then the game starts and he his helmet's nowhere nearby and he's on the sideline and I don't think he played uh looks like he did not Okay. He was active but did not play. I think it was an emergency only situation. Too. And it, and that shows shows you something they 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 believe in Rodney Thomas too. Because if if Blackman was healthy enough to suit up and if they didn't believe in the seventh round rookie, they would have played Blackman some. They didn't play him at all. And again, yet another game where Thomas was good. I mean he, he tracked down some of these runs and he uh he made seven tackles the, for Thomas. One of the incompletions was in the end zone, and when he he got the coverage on Lawrence, and they they couldn't get it get it back there. So, Rodney Thomas, that's what's going to be interesting going forward is that Blackman, uh, you know, is is working back from from the ankle injury, but he is you know eventually he's he's going to be ready to go, and it'll be interesting to see what they do because they've they've got one free safety spot. It's a single high safety, and the way that they what they want out of that position is they call it the eraser. They want it to where, like, if you do mess up on the run, which they did plenty today, that guy's got to be able to take the right angle and chase it down. And, and Blackman is very athletic. Of course, he's got as much range as anybody. But but Rodney Thomas has been such a sure tackler and also so good in coverage, especially on the deep ball. His ability to catch up to the deep ball, use that 6-1 length and bat it away, 
just feels like something they're going to need to get on the field. It'll be interesting to see how they do it. Uh, by my understanding, I don't think Gus Bradley defenses use a lot of three safeties. and Not typically. You know, and Rodney McLeod's a guy that also looks like, I don't know how you take him off the field. Nick Cross isn't getting any snaps at that position. So it's a good position to be in, I guess, <laughs> you know, to have more uh, too many good safeties than to know who to put on the field. It's the opposite of what, you know, where they – even where they were last year at that position. So it's very nice to see, but it's it's really interesting because I thought coming in this year that Julian Blackman was going to be one of the most important players, and he still might be. I still really believe in his potential, but it's just Rodney Thomas has made this a conversation in a way I don't think we ever thought would be a conversation. I think going forward this week, the defensive backfield is going to be a big topic of conversation. Thomas and Blackman, uh, Faison and Rodgers, we have to ask about that when we get to Bradley on, on Tuesday again. Uh, the run defense going forward, but big takeaway for me is the Colts offense can score it is possible and again I know it's Jacksonville but that's a good Jacksonville defense based on what we'd seen through the first five weeks of the season um, for the Colts cover two podcast I am Joel A. Erickson uh, this has been Nate Atkins we'll have we'll have more for you this week I'm a little bit in and out um, because my son was born last week but uh, we'll, we'll be back this week and then obviously in Tennessee next week for a game that Essentially, the Colts have a chance to take control of the AFC South, which is weird to say considering where they started this season. But the Titans are 3-2, and two, the Colts are 3-2-1, and one, win that game, and you're a half step ahead of them going forward. So that's, that's where we're at. Uh, again, for the Colts Cover 2 podcast, this has been Joel and Nate. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.